You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like Him. Uh, Welcome everyone to... Chats, Fireside Chats. Uh, we're back again in a different space in the north suburbs of Melbourne in Bandura. Uh, and my guest today is not a Monash EU staff. Uh, Edmund, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm, I'm Edmund and I'm from RMIT CU. Yeah, right. One of the staff. Uh, so clearly part of the, the worst CU out of the <laughs> two, if we have to compare the two. No. The, the rivalry is <laughs> really between Monash and Melbourne. Let's be honest. Uh, that's yeah, where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're a Melbourne CU staff, yeah. that's a different story. But yeah, cool. Uh, so, yep, you're working at um, RMIT. Uh, tell us a bit about your. Um, well, who are you? What family? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, currently, sh- at the moment. Sure. I, I was born in Melbourne, and I grew up in Melbourne. I'm a bit of a Westie, so I grew up in the western suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, I am a. Uh, well, I went to university. Um, actually, my first university degree was at Monash. Hey, um, there, there you go. go. Uh, I was I was raised as a Roman Catholic, actually. Yeah. And um, that just basically meant I went through the motions of life, uh, as many other Roman Catholics do. Um, and around you know age of twenty five, I had a bit of a quarter life crisis, and I thought, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, why not just go back to uni and do another degree? Yeah. So this time, where I. Um, I upgraded. No, just kidding. I went to RMIT, <laughs> and um, okay. yeah, I um, I studied uh, engineering. And uh, what did so you study first? What was the first degree? Oh, Monash was actually pharmacy, so it wasn't right. in Clayton or so Caulfield. Parkville, it was right? Parkville, and yeah, it wasn't okay. even called, it was called something different back then. Yeah, we okay. called it VCP, yeah. Victorian College of Pharmacy. Uh, and then second time round, I was doing engineering at RMIT, and um, yeah, so I was a Roman Catholic and. Uh, we might talk about this a bit later, but I, I knew that there was some Christian group and I knew that Christians knew their Bible probably a bit better than me and other Roman Catholics. And I thought, well, I want to know about the Bible. I call myself a Catholic. So I joined a Christian group yeah. and read the Bible, uh, became a Christian, um, eventually did an apprenticeship at RMIT, uh, eventually got married as well, uh, went to Sydney to study more college and Bible college and then uh, now I'm back at RMIT as a senior staff. Yep. Uh, during that time, uh, my wife and I, we've had three kids, uh, yeah, Erastus, right. Gaius and Jane, uh, but we refer to their nicknames Rusty and Gaga uh, and Jane, Jane, because, you know, two syllables, yep. make it rhyme. Um, yeah, and they're six years old, four years old and two years old, respectively. So, yeah, right. Yeah. So just started school, kindergarten and... And about to start kindergarten next year when she turns yeah, right. three. Yes. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, 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 cool. Awesome. Uh, what's what's something in the last week or two that your kids have done that has amused you? Uh, usually, my second son is really bad at lying, um, and often the the, the tell 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 is that he'll just copy what his older brother is saying. So today, a fireman visited our school, and the second one was like, oh, "A fireman visited my school too." <laughs> And then um, doesn't want to be beaten by his brother. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They're, compar- they're competing all the time. Uh, but one time, my second son did say, "Hey, we have an alligator coming to his school," and I was like, uh, "Okay, sure." Which I didn't believe him. I and mean, then when I did drop him off at kindergarten, the kindergarten teacher said, "We're having an alligator come to our school today." It was yeah, a right. baby alligator, and I was like, "Oh, he was telling the truth the yeah, whole time." Okay, cool. So. It's nice. they're getting great at lying. Um, yeah, I'm trying to work out how to just <laughs> tell when they're lying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Is that a um, learnt behaviour? Is that not a learnt behaviour? Oh, probably <laughs> both, probably. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that my sin's rubbing off and yeah. they also sinful as well. So, yeah, 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 cool. Um, and sorry, what's your wife's name? Maggie. Maggie. And how did you guys meet? What's the, oh, what's so, the romantic story there? Oh, sure. So, uh, she's from Hong Kong uh, and she came down to... Uh, on a working holiday in Melbourne and she joined a church called Cross Culture, Church of Christ, right in the city. And shortly after I became a Christian, my cousin was going to Cross Culture, Church of Christ. And I thought, well, she's going to that church. I'll join that church. Uh, we met at the evening service and usually a bunch of us went out for dinner afterwards. So as a group, we got to know each other. Uh, I think after one year of getting to know her, I asked her out and then one year later we were married. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, Nice. Uh, so we're going to come back and talk a lot about Catholicism because that's mm. why uh, we're doing this fireside chat. Um, but maybe let's start with um, you've come back to Melbourne. You're a senior staff at uh, RMIT this year, right? So that's this is first year back. That's correct. What's um, what's one awesome thing about Melbourne, and then uh, what's one blind spot of Melbourne actually? Oh, okay. I didn't prep you with any of these questions. Yeah, so. no, that's fine. Uh, well, and and this, oh, well, personally, uh, I do like Melbourne. Uh, I did grow up in Melbourne, so that's a little bias. Uh, but if I was to tell someone who's never been to Melbourne what's awesome about Melbourne, um, yeah, I'm struggling because I, I grew up in Melbourne. Usually, I, the the weather is is the weather is not something that you normally promote as a plus. Yeah. Um, uh, but Melbourne does, it's got the space, it is growing, it's getting bigger. And actually, yes, there's, there's something I would say is it is relatively cheaper than living in Sydney. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and thinking about Melbourne, like Christians in Melbourne versus Christians in Sydney, and I'm sure you've kind of done some thinking about that. Mm. What do you reckon is one blind spot that Melbourne Christians have? What's one area we. We're always battling um, cultural Christianity. Uh, it's not just black and white heresy. That, uh, that's pretty easy. Someone's saying Jesus is not God. That's, well, that's, that's heresy. Yet Jesus is God. As a Christian, you would say that. Um, but the greatest battle is anyone who teaches the Bible is cultural Christianity. Um, and it's just different battles that you might fight in different Christian circles um, that we, we may not see how much our culture that we live in, especially Victoria, and Dan Andrews' own words, the most progressive state in Australia, um, how that influences our our thinking as a Christian. Um, so it is just mindful that culture can creep on and eventually we keep pushing the line back on where we want to make a stand. And we keep pushing that line back, we're going to realise, actually, are we that distinct as Christians from the rest of the world? Yeah. Um, now, that's not necessarily blind spot specific to Melbourne. I think that can be everywhere. Uh, but Victoria being, like, well, at least according to Dan Andrews, being the most progressive state, uh, that, that might be more of a, uh, an issue to be aware of and that's something that you could easily look over. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Okay, well, let's let's think about that. And this is kind of a helpful segue because there's a lot of people that grow up and they would call themselves Catholic, but it's mm. culturally Catholic, for need of a better word. Okay, yes. Yeah. They're, um, they're thinking about that. That's just kind of part of life. Mm. Um, that's part of how they identify. That's how their ad- parents identify. What did it mean for you to grow up as a Roman Catholic? It, it was very much like uh, part of your identity. So it's like saying to an Australian, uh, are you an Australian? And I'm like, yes. And like, what makes you Australian? And then that answer can vary. Uh, I was born in, most, most Roman Catholics would be baptized as a baby. And if you ask why you're Roman Catholic, 
uh, many would say I was baptized as a, as a Roman Catholic. That's why I'm a Roman Catholic. It's a bit like saying I was born in Australia, I'm Australian. And then when someone tells you you're not really Roman Catholic or you're not really Australian, you're like, well, I was born as Australian or I was born as a Roman Catholic. I don't know any different, so... <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. So, And that's not... It, often your identity is attached to your culture. So in Turkey, you can say you're a Muslim. It's almost synonymous saying you're, um, you're Turkish. Um, it is quite more secular in terms of their Muslim understanding there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, Roman Catholics, a lot of them would just see it as a, a cultural thing. So, for example, our, our Sunday, my Sunday upbringing was to go to Mass in the morning um, each Sunday. I was to uh, attend Mass, and then at the end of it, our family would go have, uh, so I've got an Asian background, we go to Yum Cha's lunch together, and that was a Sunday thing to do. And if you break against that kind of routine, it's like you're going against the family or going against what you've been brought up doing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, right. So, that, so, pretty much week in, week out, Sunday morning, Mass. That's followed right. by a family lunch. That's right. So it's kind of, it, for need of a better word, it was the family gathering nearly, mass and lunch kind of one piece together. That's correct. And what did mass look like? Like walk us through, there's lots of students and me included who have never been to a mass before. So yeah. what does that look like? Uh, so the word mass is probably not the, the helpful term for us to, for a someone who's not a, non, a non-Roman Catholic. Uh, so uh, you don't really know what, uh, uh, now that I've left no longer a Roman Catholic or identify as a Roman Catholic, I think I understood a bit more about what was happening. But as a Roman Catholic attending Mass, you often just you see the kind of like the same motions going through. So let's argue it's a, usually a 50-minute service in which probably 45 minutes is the same thing week in, week out. Uh, yeah, so right. there'll be there'll be the prayers and there'll be uh, the Eucharist or the communion you might call it, where the breaking of the bread and the uh, serving of the wine. Um, that was probably the, the usually what would consider the highlight of the mass. Uh, and there'll be my what they call a homily, which is like a five minute kind of like a mini five minute sermon or chat about uh, whether it's related to the Bible passage or not. Um, and you do that week in week out. And then there's actually a three year cycle that you follow on the on the missal, where year A, B, year C, and you actually repeat the three year cycle. Over and over again. So, what goes on in the year, the three year cycle? Like, what do you? Oh, as in the three year cycle, in terms of what Bible readings are made. Okay, right. Uh, what Psalms are read? Um, yeah. So, so it's a three year cycle in terms of kind of everything that goes on in the service. But across those three years, would the whole Bible get read? In no, the... it wouldn't. Yeah. It, it's a selected service, selected passages. Sorry, so you won't cover the whole Bible. And even when you do read the Psalms, uh, responsible Psalms, they might say where you they say a Psalm and you repeat in response. Uh, they they select key psalms. It's not the it's not the whole Bible. Yeah. Whereas I've heard, for example, I think Tyndale within Tyndale would have had the plan to have all of the Bible read, and I even know some churches that would try and get most of the Bible reading done in three years' time, actually, just yeah. by attending church every Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a non-Roman Catholic church. I'm talking about. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's so that's your Sunday kind of gathering. So mm. there's short short for what we would. Evangelicals would kind of say a sermon, but like five-minute version kind of vibes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then prayer, communion, but we'll talk more about communion because yes. not quite communion. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and some Bible reading, and that's kind of about it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So 50 minutes, and that's that done, uh, and you'd go along, and uh, after a while, did you kind of zone out, or were you attentive yes. the whole way through? or Oh, as... Um, was it like 50 minutes for me to just kind of I I phase I, out? I played fantasies in my head, I guess. <laughs> so as in like, as a young child, you'll dream about the latest movie and think about your character movie. So yeah, your your mind just wanders off. Uh, sometimes there was a kid's 
church uh, where they try and get the kids involved. Uh, but usually after you've uh, gone through the, the Eucharist um, training, then you probably join the service for the mass to receive the bread, for example. Yeah. Um, but yes, it was, uh, it was very routine. Some people would just leave the service right after they received the, the bread um, uh, and then leave, yes. So um, yeah, I sometimes tell people it was, it was quite boring. Um, Having said that, sometimes the the priest would give a interesting five minute talk, um, but whether it was related to a Bible passage that was read out, it may or may not be. Uh, I've been to a wedding where the priest said at this person's wedding, uh, he started talking about I'm going to keep talking about racism and social racism that's happening in our society at someone's wedding. And I, yeah, so it wasn't really much of a message about yeah. uh, the union of a man and a woman. Yeah. yeah. And did you have lots of friends at church? Like, was that a, a thing that, like, lots of friends your age kind of thing? Or was that? Uh, depends on the church. Uh, my church in particular was, no, there was probably a, a huge age gap. Uh, so my brothers, we, we were closer in age that way. But apart from my brothers, there would have been 30, 40 year age gap from when I was young. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, so it did feel, it felt like I was going there for, with a family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's quite, in some ways it's a bit of a different different than what we'd normally expect in the evangelical realm, like as kind of like a church service, but still a church service nonetheless. Was there any anything else during the week that you were expected to do or attend or go to or was it kind of Sunday and that's it? It was Sunday and that's it for me. Some people might meet up and actually uh, do extra things. Oh, I, I there was a, a strong impetus to do um, charity. So, um, join a, one of those soup fans, for example, uh, which, uh, uh, and there's always this great push to do the good thing, be a good person. Uh, so there, some, some people do that as well. Yeah. Um, so, but mostly, um, and some people did read their Bibles together, uh, which was encouraging in that sense. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, but most, in most part, uh, the fact that I attended a weekly mass, I was considered devour ready. <laughs> Sometimes I did the Bible reading, which was like, wow, you actually get to the front. Uh, so some a lot of Roman Catholics might just go on Easter and Christmas and just twice a year. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so let's think about that a little bit as we come back. There's a bunch of stuff I want to touch on. We're mm. kind of getting the, the framework in mind before we come back and think about the theological differences because there's a bunch and we've kind of just briefly touched on them. Mm. Uh, but I want to hear just before we do that... Um, because you've grown up as a Roman Catholic, you go to university, you get a degree from the best university, and then you go and then you get a degree from a slightly worse university. <laughs> no. yeah. uh, and then um, you become a Christian at some point in that. Mm. But you grew up as a Roman Catholic. Mm. Uh, so what do you mean you became a Christian and what did that look like? Yeah. Um, even as a Roman Catholic, I called myself a Christian, uh, just mean a Christ follower. And I think Roman Catholics... Uh, should still call themselves Christ followers. Um, I wouldn't deny that. Um, uh, so I think the the point where I became a born-again Christian uh, was when I actually started reading more of the Bible for myself uh, because it's very easy just to assume the Bible. Uh, if you don't actually read the Bible, you're just going to assume what it says. And I remember... Oh, the, oh, the reason why I joined the Christian group when I went to RMIT was because I, I knew my cousin... 
was a Christian. And growing up, she was similar age. She knew more about the Bible than me. And I was like, but I go to mass every Sunday. I still, I don't even know who these people you're talking about in these in this Bible. And for example, David and Goliath. I'd never really heard a Bible verse about David and Goliath, but it's a very well-known story. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I never actually read it in the Bible. I, I think I heard about David and Goliath watching Simpsons before I heard it in the Bible. Yeah, right. Uh, um, so... Uh, so I knew that these Christians, uh, even though I called myself a Roman Catholic Christian, uh, but these, my cousins seemed to remind me I was, I was not a Christian sometimes, which was probably, probably unhelpful because that created a dissonance in my mind because my own, my, the Catholic Church would say we are Christians. Um, so uh, was that they knew about the Bible. Uh, so when I joined this Christian group, uh, a staff worker met up with me and he said, hey, do you want to read the Gospel of Mark? And I was like, oh, gospel. No, I want to learn about, you know, the Old Testament, like David and Goliath, stuff I don't know. Yeah. I, know how, I know how the gospel ends. Jesus dies. That's it. Oh. So when he, 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 he and I, I could, I, looking back, I can see why he wants to go to the gospel because it's, it's going straight to the clearest picture about who Jesus is. Uh, so he, he kind of like um, creatively asked me to help him read the Bible uh, for other students and give feedback on how he's doing it. So I was like, oh, sure, okay. And he got me through a course called Christianity explored which goes through the gospel of mark and i found myself uh reading mark just reading the gospel of mark thinking i was helping him without really realizing that it was his plan for me to just read the gospel for yeah, myself yeah, yeah um and as we were reading uh over weeks uh i would ask a question and i'll and he would tell me what does the bible say i was like oh, oh what it says this ask another question what does the bible say and i was like but i'm asking you but he keeps turning he kept turning me back to the bible uh, until eventually there was a an ultimatum where it was pretty much uh, where Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life," which is in John fourteen verse six, and that's when I was like, "What? Well, actually, is that saying Jesus is the the only way to the Father? Nobody can come to the Father except through Jesus." And then again, his response: "What does the Bible say?" And I yeah. said, "It says Jesus is the the, the only way," which uh, that that kind of crashed my worldview in, in one sense because. I was taught that there are many ways to roam, uh, do the good thing, do the right thing. Um, in one sense, there was a, a very burdening uh, illustration that my priest used to tell me, which was uh, the road paved to hell uh, is paved with good intentions. You have to actually do good things. And there's always that thought, well, I'm not doing enough good things to get in heaven. In fact, I feel like I'm destined for hell because I keep sinning. I keep doing the wrong thing. Um, and... Reading this Bible verse, um, uh, well, as a result, uh, there are many ways to to God, and this was almost saying that I had to trust in Jesus, not in myself, and that was a, a huge revelation. Um, it was a little bit of a relief, but at the same time, it was it dawned on me that wow, not everyone is saved, or it, it, that I was looking around the room. I remember, I remember thinking very clearly, looking around the room as the staff work was there. And I was thinking, there's like a hundred people in this cafe room or uni cafe place, and many of them probably don't know Jesus as the way to God. Um, and I almost was going to say to the staff worker, "I think you've read the Bible wrong." Like we've spent weeks with me reading the Bible for myself, and I'm like, "Actually, I think this is what the Bible's saying." Mm. And a Roman Catholic shouldn't deny the the Bible, actually. Mm. Mm. Yeah, right. So. Uh I mean, praise God for that moment, right? Like, praise God that you were reading scripture and it was so clear. Mm. Uh, but that does beg the question, mm. if you've grown up your whole life as a Roman Catholic, you'd call yourself a Christian, what 
what did you think saved you? Like, wh- what's the difference here between yeah. what you came to know, which is you're saved by grace alone through Christ hmm. with your faith in Jesus versus what you grew up with? What 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 is a Roman Catholic view of salvation? Yeah, often a great sign of someone who uh, is a Christian and trusts in Jesus is assurance. Uh, I didn't have assurance. I was uh, the uncertainty of what will happen after I die. Uh, uh, because if I understood my sin correctly, uh, then I would understand that I can't make myself right with God. I needed a, a mediator, a God-man Jesus to do it. So I think uh, what, uh, what usually a Roman Catholic does feel is a lack of assurance. Um, what, why is that lack of assurance unpack that? What's their, what are they trying to, how are they trying to get to God? What's yeah, that? okay. It's, it comes down to um, how they understand, oh, this is going to be a big word, justification. Um, justification, uh, it's, it's like another word being uh, how do you write with God? Yeah, how do you write with God? And uh, for a Roman Catholic, um, I guess the first stage of being right with God is uh, to be baptized. Now, you might have heard the idea of a lot of Protestants, uh, so non-Roman Catholics, Protestants, uh, would say faith alone. Uh, the difference between Roman Catholics and Protestants is not the word faith, it's the word alone. Because for the Roman Catholic, it's your faith gets you only so far. Uh, I am my own agent in my justification, in my way of being right with God. Uh, I have a lot of agency. Uh, I'm in, I, I, I contribute to my, uh, my justification. It's not completely workspace. There is a heresy called Pelagianism, which the Roman Catholic Church did, uh, counts as heresy, and that's a work-based salvation, which is saying that you can be saved without, uh, without faith. What the Roman Catholic, Catholics are saying, you need faith and works to be saved. Yeah, right. Yeah. So pull that out for us a little bit. What, sure. is, what is that? So what does the faith look like then? Is it, is it faith in Jesus still? Or Yes. Okay. So th- th- I'll unpack a bit more. So I'll, if I use big jargony words, I'll try and unpack it. Yeah. Um, the Roman Catholics have these things called, oh, well, there are some sacraments, sacramentum, which, which is a bit like um, actions that you do that which God would give, would confer a sign of grace to you. So for example, I Best way is used. There's something called baptism, which is actually known as the sacrament of faith. So Roman Catholics do believe that you need to be, you need faith to be saved. And the first step is that baptism. Um, and that baptism, they often do it for babies, is to wash away that original sin which you adopted from from Adam and Eve. And I guess arguably the best time to die is after you've been baptized, because then you've been washed away of sin. Mm. And then now that you've been washed away of original sin, the Roman Catholics will say you're now in a state of grace. Now here comes. Uh, the tricky part is you've got to maintain that state of grace uh, because you will end up sinning. You're going to do other really uh, minor sins, which I call venial sins. Or you might do a really big sin called a mortal sin. Um, and a big sin you know, pushes you out of a state of grace in which you need, to do, you need to do good works or do penance or do the right sacraments to get you back onto the state of grace. So it's just the idea that God gets you so far. You get onto the state of grace through Jesus' death. That's where that faith comes in. And then you've got to maintain yourself in that state but of that, grace. But that faith looks like being baptized, right? Uh, well, put it, uh, August, the works, uh, Augustine puts it as God crowns your good works. So your work still arguably is by faith. Yeah, um, right. So this, it's uh, this big Latin word, ex opera 
opera, opera, operato, operato, opera, which means by works worked. So it's still saying it's still Jesus works that's done it. And um, it's because um, this kind of merit that God gives. So God has bound himself that say, if you keep your sacraments up, then God will give you this grace to keep you back, in, to keep you up back into the state of grace. Yeah. Um, so kind of like if you do so much, God will do so much, and then together somehow you'll be, yeah, in a state of grace. Yeah. Is that kind of? Yeah. I I think the difference is on the word. I'm coming back to the word justify. Uh, I think for Roman Catholics, the word justify means you're made righteous. So made righteous means you're you you are a righteous person, inherently good person. And I think the Protestant idea of to be justified is you're declared righteous. So you are, let's say you're in a court of law, someone declares you not guilty, even though you did commit the crime. So for a Protestant, you're declared not guilty uh, and you are not guilty before God's sight, but in, inherently you're still a sinner. You've actually committed a crime. It's just that Jesus paid the time. Yeah. Whereas for a Roman Catholic, it's not that, that separation of being declared righteous, you actually made righteous. You're you're just you're you're good you're a good person uh, straight away, uh, inherently, and hence God can judge you to go straight in heaven. But the problem is, but then you tar it slowly, and you kind right. of become a less good person, and uh, then you do ro- things to make you a more good person, and yeah. it kind of balances out. Yeah, so you you got to yeah. try and remain in a state of grace, and uh, and you you won't ever get back to your your baptism level where you had your sin removed. That's why when you die, there's a, there's a thing called purgatory where they kind of burn off the remaining sin, so to say, uh, through people's prayers and, and so forth. Yeah. yeah I don't, know if, I don't know if you topic. know this. This is kind of a, a random question. I actually don't know the answer to this either. Mm. Uh, where did purgatory come from? Because I don't see it anywhere in scripture. Yes. Okay. Uh, how did purgatory come to exist as a like theological thing, if that makes sense? Um. There's a lot of a lot of oh, theories you could say. Um, a lot of Roman Catholics will say it's from Maccabees, which is an intertestamental book. Uh, so some people call it apocrypha. So in the Protestant canon, which is your Bible, there's 66 books. Uh, the Roman Catholics has 66 books plus the apocrypha, in which Maccabees is one of them. Um, often the Protestants will say the Jewish did not consider apocrypha as you know canon canon being god's word god word of god uh, that's why protestants also adopt the same uh, canon as the jewish scriptures the apocrypha is nice but it's not the authoritative word of god yeah so often roman catholics would borrow the idea from uh maccabees also one corinthians i think it's one where about your your good works will be burnt up um they might have borrowed it from there uh, but i think that's probably reading into it as opposed to uh seeing it in the context yeah right okay so there's, I mean, this, this is a massive difference between Roman like Catholics and Protestants is this idea that uh, in, in Protestantism, evangelicalism, you're saved by Christ taking the punishment for your sin and you're putting your faith in him. And so even though you have committed the crime, he's, he's done the time, he's taken the punishment and now you're declared right. Whether the Roman Catholic view is at when you're baptized you're, or you're de- kind of made a right a good person mm, and mm. then your your sin for never better way tars you makes you a less good person but then you can kind of do things to make you a better good person and depending on how good a person you are at the end of your life is depending on how much time that you, that you then need to spend in purgatory to that's burn right. off that yes. so that you're then a right person to that's correct go to be in heaven that's correct so yes. 
and that's totally different. And as you said, so unpack that. What? How does? What's the link between that and assurance? Those two different kind of gospels, for need of a better word, because they are different gospels. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. How does the Protestant one give you assurance where the Roman Catholic one doesn't? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's understanding faith, I would say. So I might say something. Um, faith does not make justification effective. So let me let me un- unpack that before you think that sounds very strange. Um, uh, how can you be assured of your salvation as a Christian? Jesus died 2,000 years ago. My faith, um, I didn't choose for Jesus to die. My choice wasn't, I mean, I chose Jesus to die. I can say I chose to trust in Jesus, yes, but I didn't choose Jesus to die. So uh, this idea of grace, is it comes from God. Um, that this justification comes from God. I, I, I didn't force God's hand to just be for God to, for Jesus to die on the cross. Uh, so this assurance of faith means it's this assurance comes because I didn't actually contribute anything to my salvation. It's and therefore you can't contribute to anything to be it taken away. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I can't say I can't even say my faith is my work because we have to we have to unpack what the word faith means. Um, Faith, think of it like a noun. The verb, I think the best verb form would be trust. I trust in Jesus. It's this kind of letting go kind of faith, uh, not a work-based faith. Often this illustration I use uh, to people where I describe faith is uh, uh, two men get on a plane and one gets on from, let's say, from Melbourne to Sydney. And one one man's a business person. He does his probably every day, every week. Uh, he gets up and he doesn't really listen to the, the hostess uh, or air host uh, giving the safety demonstration. He kind of just puts a newspaper on and just snoozes through the trip. A second man, though, gets on and he's nervous as ever. He's never been on a plane before. And he, he, he listens to the, the, dem- the safety demonstration. He reads the pamphlet. He counts how many aisles he is to the exit sign. Um, and he's just anxious the whole way. The plane lifts off. The plane flies to Sydney. And the plane safely lands. You see, one had more faith. Uh, one had less faith. But both had the faith to get on the plane. Now, I don't imagine as you get off the plane, you're going to start saying to the pilot, oh, look at me, look at me. I'm so, look at my faith that I've got me here on this plane. No, I think faith is letting go and trusting something else, someone else to do the job. So, yes. So, we have this idea of faith, like in the illustration, the plane does all the work. Yes. The people just have to get on the plane. That's like right. That's, that's correct. They, yeah. they have to trust in the plane. Even if it's a small amount of trust or it's a large amount of trust, they trust in the plane, the plane does the work. Mm. Contrast that then. Um, with the Roman Catholic view of faith and then also assurance, I guess, how does their, the gospel there link to assurance? Hmm. Can you use the pain analogy still? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Let me think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, you not only getting on the plane, but you're, <laughs> this might like seem strange, you're, you're helping push the plane from the outside. Yeah. It, it sounds strange because... Well, that's, or I've, I've, in my mind, what I'm, yeah. what I'm seeing is, you know, Chicken Little, uh, not Chicken Little, Chicken Run, one of my favorite movies growing up as a okay. kid, where they build a plane at the end. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but all the all the little chickens are pedaling away to try and keep the plane in the air. And as soon as they kind of stop pedaling, the plane just like dies um, and dives. But that, that's kind of the sense we get, isn't it? A little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're you're an agent in your justification. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And in some ways, that's a little attractive. Yes. Because it means that you have something to 
do for your salvation? Yes, yes. It, it, it goes against people who, oh, I believe in Jesus now, and then just live a, a life that doesn't really honor Jesus. Yeah. Um, and that's what Roman Catholics, well, understandably, uh, uh, even if you're not a Roman Catholic, you're not, it's not a, a license to get in heaven, a free ticket to heaven and just live a very uh, sinful life that's not honoring God or a very destructive life. Yeah. Um, that's not very attractive. Like, where's your good works? Show me your good works. Um, and th- that's, that's because... Um, but they, they, they take that to the next level. So the evangelical, the Protestant would say, um, absolutely, works are really important. Hmm. Um, and it's at how we live out our salvation. We work at our salvation with fear and trembling and that's how we do it. But it doesn't hmm. make our salvation, if that makes sense. Like, it, it's not contributing to the work of Christ in any way, shape or form. But that's not what a Roman Catholic would say particularly, right? They go further than that in the importance of works. So do you want to unpack... I guess we've kind of unpacked it already, but is there anything left to say, I guess, on how works kind of come into that? Yeah, so I'm going to bring another big term. So there's justification, uh, how you're made right with God. In other words, sanctification. Think of sanctify, think of made holy. Um, God is holy, holy, holy. Uh, That means he's set apart, set apart, set apart. So Christians are called to be holy like God. Set apart means just distinct from the world because we're like God, God the Father. In fact, God, the image of God is Jesus. We're like Jesus. Um, That's what it means to be holy. Um, The Roman Catholic understanding just merges justification and sanctification into one. So um, they would often quote uh, Augustine uh, that you're justified by love alone. Now, there's a bit of a history to that. Uh, The Vulgate, which was the Latin, did translate um, instead of saying repent and believe in the kingdom of God, uh, it had do penance and um, uh, yeah, do penance instead of repent. So what's, what's the difference? So um, yeah, sure. I feel like penance is a word that we don't hear. Yeah, Maybe okay. Indiana Jones, uh, that's the only thing I can think of oh, that has okay, penance. Okay, okay. One of the Indiana Jones films, showing my pop knowledge here. Not yeah. really. It's 30 years old. Um, but, but yeah, can you? What, what is penance? Sure. Penance, often when you think of that, it's like feeling, feeling sorry, feeling shame. And often in the Roman Catholic sense, do, doing penance is uh, doing steps towards being right, making the things right again. So it, it's probably the sacraments, like confession to your, your priest, uh, the priest, or doing good things that the priest would say, okay, you, now you've confessed to me, these are the steps you do to be right again. Uh, so say 10 Hail Marys, for example, or go work for five hours at a charity. I uh, think you will have completely confused a bunch of people because they'll have absolutely no idea what you mean. So yeah, um, yeah, go on. Yep. Can you, because I, I just, it's so foreign to us. Okay. Yes. Uh, what's a Hail Mary? Oh, okay, <laughs> what's yes. confession? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yes. So, and maybe, maybe let's start with this. So um, we would call our ministers, ministers okay. or pastors or something like that. Yes. Yep. But Catholics call their pastors, priests. Sure. Yes. Why? And then that'll, I think that'll help us touch on the other stuff. What's, what's okay, going on sure. there? Okay, sure. Yeah, so sense. a priest is like a... Uh, if you think of... If you go to church and see the word altar, uh, and then priests are usually people who sacrifice the animals uh, to God. And you think of the Old Testament, the Levitical priests, uh, they would sacrifice animals. Uh, and they were the ones that were kind of like the in-between person between uh, the people and God in that kind of... that priestly role. And by sacrificing an animal, that's how you kind of uh, made, made right with God. Um, so a, a priest in one sense still um, uh, at, a, at a mass, at a Roman Catholic mass you're kind of revisiting the great sacrifice of Jesus uh, in that bread and by the altar at the front it's still considered an altar you're sacrificing Jesus' body again uh, so that you can be right with God again 
Um, and the blood being Jesus' blood. Yeah, the wine right. being Jesus' blood. So the, the priests... The priests are the mediators, essentially, between the people and God. That's right. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then the bread becomes literally Jesus' bread, even though materially it's still a piece of bread. And the wine becomes Jesus' blood, even though materially it's still wine. Yeah. And it's it's kind of re-sacrificed again. Yeah. So Roman Catholics won't say they're sacrificing Jesus over and over again. They'll say they're revisiting back to that time okay. that Jesus sacrificed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Because you'll just pull out a verse saying that Jesus died once. Yeah. Um, and then they'll say, no, it's revisiting that time of Jesus' first death. Um, yes. Yeah. But kind of applying it in a in a new way or a fresh way or something. Is that how they oh, go? Applying and, and they're now saying that the instead of an animal being sacrificed, uh, it's Jesus being sacrificed. And to obtain that kind of grace, you eat the bread that is Jesus' body and you drink the wine, which is Jesus' blood. Yeah, Which the priest gives you as a mediation between you and God. That's right. Of. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and confession works in a similar way, if I'm not wrong. So do you want to un- unpack what's what's confession? Yeah. So confession would be where the priest is also like a mediator and uh, he can, uh, uh, let's say, give you steps towards being right with God again. So if you go to the priest and say, I confess I've had uh, bad thoughts about my neighbor and the priest will say, okay, thank you for your confession. Uh, say these prayers. Uh, one could be the Hail Mary prayer or other uh, or other prayers as well. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, you can be right with God again and mm. God has forgiven your sins by doing penance, That doing doing something where you felt bad, the, the penance, that's what I'd even... And say something like 10 Hail Marys or something like that. That's correct. Yeah. Um, that's just saying the words over and over again, isn't that's, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or there's a rosary where there's 50 Hail Marys or 55 Hail Marys. Um, yeah, so have you ever seen a rosary? It's one of those necklaces and they've got beads. You say Hail Mary for each of those 10 beads and the 10th one you say Our Father and then yeah, you go around a circle and it's roughly around 55 Hail Marys. Yes, right, okay. Yes, yes so you've got uh, the priests who are kind of in the place of the mediator between man and God or people and God, even though I, I'm the thing that strikes me strikes me with that is like I think Hebrews is so clear. There's one mediator between God and man, mm-hmm. um, but uh, how how would they kind of uh, let's not go there. Um, we'll leave that for a different thing. Sure. So you've got the priest and then confession, mm-hmm. and so there's you got this real idea that it's really a transactional kind of thing, isn't it? In some ways, where you've got. I do this bad thing, I go to the priest, the priest gives me some form of getting grace or something like that that will make me right again with God. So there's kind of this transactional thing over and over and over again, um, which always means there's more to do, mm. doesn't it? Yes, yes, that's, I would say so, yes. Yeah. yeah. What, what then, so I, I think this connects, but I, I want you to tease this out and if it doesn't, tell me. But what's a saint in Roman Catholic? Okay, Um in the Roman Catholic sense, uh, oh, there's, there's a criteria for you to become a saint. Um, whether um, you're usually a very good person, and I, I, my, from my understanding, when you pray to a dead saint who's died uh, and the miracle happens, that's usually some of the criteria to become a saint, such as uh, Saint Mary MacKillop, for example, in Australia. Um, uh, so they do have this idea where you have intercessionary prayer. So intercessionary means, think of the word intercede, where someone uh, steps in on your behalf, your, or they intercede on your behalf. And one way of getting your prayers to be received by God is to ask others to pray for you, including uh, saints who have passed away or dead saints. I was going to say, because so we, we do that, we have intercessory, we often call a little segment in church intercessory prayer where we're mm. praying for other people. 
Yes. But this is different, right? Because mm. you're getting people who have saints of the past that have died to pray for you in some way. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. It does sound it's it's not necessary because we have a one true. We have a high priest uh, who has done the job. Uh, we pray straight to Jesus. We don't need to go through Mary, uh, the Mother of God, or we don't need to go through other saints because we have a uh, an, a mediator who's alive. Uh, still today, Jesus is alive today, who we can pray to. And he continues to intercede for us now in the right hand of God. In comparison to the Catholic saints that are actually dead. They are dead, yeah. You, yeah. You, you, we all face, we all die once and then face judgment. What, what is the deal with Mary? Like, why is Mary so such a big deal in the Catholic Church? Well, I think in one stage, uh, was it Theotokos? I'm sure it sure says a fancy Greek word for it. Um Mother of God was a way in the early church to distinguish that you actually believe that Jesus is God. So it was like kind of like a lowercase mother of God. And at one stage it became an uppercase mother of God. So Yeah, right. So lowercase m, uppercase g goes to uppercase m, uppercase g. That's right. Gotcha. Yeah. So instead of saying pointing the divinity towards Jesus, it starts showing actually maybe the mother of God's even bigger because um, she gave birth to Jesus. And I guess the, the reason is this struggle with original sin. How can... Um, if you're born in original sin, how can Jesus be born and not have the original sin? That means the mother must have had, uh, not had, must have been sinless. So the idea that the mother of God was also sinless, um, in order for Jesus to be uh, sinless, uh, because of the original sin. Um, so that's where the idea that where they thought the mother has uh, some special ranking where she's um, sinless. That's what it means by the, I think, the perpetual virginity of Mary. Uh, we'll talk about, um, that's talking about Mary uh, being sinless. How do they get around Jesus having brothers? Oh, they'll say that they are his cousins. Another way of saying, you're my, you're my okay. cousin, I'll call you brother. Yeah, right. Um, okay. Which goes against Luke 1, where Mary calls God my saviour. Like, if she is sinless, she won't need a saviour. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and and maybe just kind of unpacking that again, because Mary is quite a big deal from what I understand mm. uh, and plays a huge part in Roman Catholic life and thought. What, mm. what role, like, growing up as a Catholic, what role did Mary play in your life or in the life of Catholics? Mm. Aside from being this, this person who's a mother of God, saint, who becomes kind of nearly divine, kind of in some way, really important. What does that actually practically look like for a Catholic? Oh, For a Roman Catholic, it means you've got more people you can pray to uh, for God to hear prayers. Uh, so oh, you can pray to this saint here. Um, and oh, actually, if you haven't tried this saint, try that one. Oh, and pray, them, pray to the mother. You know, the son will listen to the mother. Uh, so you've just got more people to pray to in hope, again, this uncertainty, that God will hear your prayers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, I want to come to... There's two more quick things I want to touch on uh, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Okay. Um, unless there's anything particularly you want to bring out, but I think we'll hopefully bring some of these out. Let's mm. talk about the Pope. Okay. Um, I feel like... Because this is another thing that's, I think, odd to a lot of Protestants this mm. Pope who's the head of the Catholic Church and we're like, oh, is that just like Archbishop of you know, Australia or whatever um, mm. in that he's just the head of the church body kind of thing. But it's different, isn't it? So what is the Pope? Who is the Pope? 
Yeah, okay. And then we'll think about scripture and tradition a little bit. Yeah, okay. So. Uh, often Roman Catholics will say the, that Peter was the first pope. And often there's this idea where, where Peter was an apostle and that he can succeed his apostleships, or they call it apostolic succession, yeah. uh, his role as the, as the first pope, you could say, uh, to people who he entrusted it to. Um, but the problem is, it's not understanding the word apostle, actually. Apostles... They were the first witnesses of Jesus when he was on earth and they were the ones who were eyewitnesses and they, they died. Um, there's, no, there's no sense of passing on that apostolic authority after the apostles died. Um, Jude says we contend to the faith that was once, that's the word once, delivered to all, all the saints. Uh, and uh, the final word of God is actually uh, Jesus. Uh, Hebrews, very first verse of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, God has spoken in various ways, but in these last days, um, He has spoken through the Son. But the Roman Catholic would come in and say, "But the Pope carries the authority of Peter." Uh, yes, yes. Who carries the authority of Jesus? And like, how, how does that work? Because that's not yeah. what they'd say. So, what would they? Often, say? it's it's gone back to when Jesus calls Peter, "You are." Uh, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build the church. Yeah. And that could be a plain words because Peter Kephas also means rock as well. Um, and uh, a, a lot of you, you, I guess you can dig through the passage a bit harder. It's not they would use that passage to say Peter must be the first pope. Uh, and also it, John twenty, uh, your testament, end of John, probably John chapter twenty one, um, talks about uh, where Jesus asked Peter, "Do you love me?" And he, three times he asked. Me. And Peter is seen as kind of like the unofficial leader of the disciples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the problem is, he's he's not fishing for men. He's gone back to fishing. In fact, he's gone he's gone back to fishing in Galilee. Uh, and the, re- the reason why he's been asked three times is because, well, he denied Jesus three times. Mm. Um, uh, there's 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 so it's in one sense Jesus restoring Peter's leadership, uh, and all through um, through through Acts, you don't see Peter. You see Peter planting churches, but there's no idea of him passing his authority. He also brings back to Jesus as the final authority. Mm. Um, yeah. Whether the Pope in Catholic tradition does what? What's the Pope's yeah. role? So the Pope is considered the, the true interpreter of Scripture. Mm. So uh, Protestants will say the Bible alone, uh, because that's God's word, back to Hebrews 1 again. Uh, God has spoken in many various ways, but in his last days, in the Son. Uh, and which Roman Catholics will say, oh, no, you can actually, you need someone to interpret it, and the Pope is the one who can interpret the Bible correctly. Now, it doesn't mean every single word the Pope says is infallible, which means, like, is, is divine, so to say. Uh, it's when he's interpreting certain parts of Scripture and says, this is the correct interpretation, that becomes the authoritative yeah, word right. of, uh, authoritative interpretation of the Word of God. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's the authoritative interpreter of yes. the authoritative word, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah. Yeah, right. What What's fascinating to me is that last week I recorded a, a podcast with Dan on cults. Okay. And it's it's intriguing to me that a lot of cults, the leaders say, this is the authoritative view okay. of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm going to leave that where it is. We don't have to comment well, the, on that. But the I creeds just think, are helpful. So yeah. Roman Catholics do not deny the Trinity. It's Father, yeah. Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So they won't deny the divinity of Christ. So I'll say that. Yes. That's good. That's mm. a good start. Yeah. Mm. Uh, fantastic. Well, that kind of we've gone through a lot on mm. terms of Roman Catholic views versus Protestant views, and I hope this is helpful for a lot of people listening. Mm. Um, but we might be tempted at the end. Or first of all, let mm. me give you: uh, Is there anything else you want to tell us about, um, or inform us about, or share with us about 
kind of Roman Catholicism, growing up in Roman Catholic Church, any any and all, anything else that we haven't included? Um, no, I think we've covered a great deal. Uh, I was going to talk about how do you actually engage with Roman Catholics in your life. Uh, I'm happy to talk about that, but yeah, that, well, I think that's I think that's, that's a good a, point to end because mm. I think we're tempted to um, think, oh man, we've heard all these different things. They believe in a different gospel essentially different mm. authority of scripture because the pope mm. is the authoritator different mm. mediator because you have the priest that mediate mm. um that sounds totally different totally bizarre mm. kind of but also mm. just oh well all roman catholics must not be christians and mm. we should treat them as complete heretics and like basically treat them as a non-christian mm. okay. is that the way that we should go about it um no no i, I would like to say that you can't institutionalize the truth so there'll be non-christians in every uh in every group so i'm not saying the statements of faith are wrong for example the anglican church um the 39 statements of faith are great it doesn't mean everyone in anglican church is a christian uh even if they do go to church every sunday like i used to grow up at a roman catholic church uh it's not to say that everyone goes to roman catholic church are non uh, are non-christians too um uh, I guess the, the more they follow the Roman Catholic doctrine, though, it's more questionable. Uh, but most Roman Catholics don't really understand their own doctrine, uh, just as many Protestants may not understand their Bible as well as they like to. Uh, we can always want to improve our Bible. For example, if I open up James 2.24, how many Protestants can respond to your faith by, you're saved by works and not by faith alone? How do you, how do you marry that together? Because that's what a lot of Roman Catholics would go to. And there are various ways you can interpret James 2.24. I think the word, the idea of perception uh, and you see uh, a man who's been justified, I think it's a lot about the, uh, outward, the outward appearance. So often Paul is talking about obstetrics. Like, ha- like uh, if you think about Paul, he's talking about newborn babies. How to become a, how's a baby born? Uh, whereas James is talking about how to mature. Uh, so he's dealing more with like the pediatricians mm-hmm. and geriatricians. If you're yeah. using medical terminology. Um, uh, but yeah, so... Um, you, a Roman Catholic for myself, I didn't, I didn't really understand what was going on. I, there was a heart that I want to know God. I, I would say that I actually tried to read the Bible as a young boy, uh, and I just got confused and lost. And um, even though my cousin did help me bring to, you know, have Christian, um, told me Christian stories, and eventually I joined her at a church. Sometimes it was unhelpful when she called me, "You're not a Christian," and I'm like, "I'm I'm trying to read the Bible here. You're calling me not a Christian. I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. I'm trying to read the Bible." Um, and yeah, just, so not we shouldn't. There's not a sense in which we just kind of come in and go, "Well, we don't agree with the Pope because of this. Don't agree with you know your the way you view your authority of Scripture and tradition and blah blah blah." Hmm. And we don't agree with the way you do works over you know salvation by faith. But if if we go in with that, what you're saying is there's a lot of Roman Catholics who won't who, who won't even necessarily understand the doctrine well enough to engage with that in a helpful way. Hmm. And actually, it's going to be too hard, too fast, too. Um, intense yeah it's not yeah. going to help yeah um, so people are still people they're, they're not projects um we have emotions we get happy we get sad people, roman catholics get happy get sad and protestants get happy get sad uh so um it's it's just like someone who's sleeping through a great sermon won't hear the gospel someone who feels belittled and doesn't feel and doesn't feel welcomed no matter how much great doctrine, gospel teaching you're telling them, they're not going to hear it. They're just going to feel the emotions will overtake them. Um, and what was great was that um, 
Uh, I love how, how it's how 1 Timothy 4 says, watch my life and my doctrine. It's not just getting your sound doctrine right. You also want to live your life because that's how Roman, that's what Roman Catholics are brought up thinking. Yeah, I want to live the right life. And you just want to just tweak the right understanding of what's actually motivating you to do the right thing. Is it to be right with God or because you're already right with God? Um, yeah. and, that, and that's because there are a lot of Roman Catholics who, who do want to be right with God. And it's just they just haven't been taught the gospel properly. Um, so, and if you make them feel like they're not really Christian, it's like saying to an Aussie, you're not really Aussie because you don't follow AFL footy. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm sorry, but I, I follow cricket maybe, or I don't even follow sport. Um, so already you're forming barriers, I guess, from them hearing the gospel. Uh, it's not here to win a debate. You're not here to complete your project or tick a box. Uh, God calls us to, to love one another. Hmm. Um, yeah, and that's the way to do it. I think love the individual. Uh, and keep bringing him or her to God's word. Yeah, getting them to open and read scripture with you. That's what that's what happened to me. Yeah. And uh, a I guess a, a reasonable yeah a Roman Catholic wouldn't deny the scripture. I wouldn't deny the Bible. And if it makes if they get in a conflict, well, actually, I think um, what I'm hearing from church or from the Pope even or the priest is different from what I'm reading the Bible. Then that's probably a good uncomfortable feeling to have mm. because then that Roman Catholic has to wrestle. Well, who's right? And the dissonance there is between the Bible and their church, or or some other authority, yeah, 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 rather than between you and their church. Yeah, that's and right. That's, yeah. a, that's a really good thing because they're wrestling with God's word. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Roman Catholic is not going to be not really. I think guess a thoughtful Roman Catholic is not ready to say the Bible is wrong. Yeah, yes. and what you're saying is actually there's a lot of people in who have grown up in a Roman Catholic thing too, who might have that right, the desire there to know God and to be right with God, but are misguided in the way that they've been taught how to do it. And so actually opening and reading scripture with them is hmm. going to be a great approach. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of want to flag, uncover John here and meet right. Jesus, but you know, that's yeah. that's coming. This is a sneak preview for the uh, students. They don't know about that yet. Yeah. So come yeah. to NT and hear about the new mission next year about reading the Bible with people. It'll be great. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Anything Roman Catholics, they're trying. I think a lot of Roman Catholics are trying their best to be right with God, um, uh, well thought ones. Uh, but what they really need to hear is the the gospel of grace. That's what's, that's what they need to hear, and they need to hear it in the right context too. Yeah, not being shouted down and the first line saying you're wrong. It's more, hey, hey you just want to read the Bible together, and actually just investing time in the person. Uh, and that way, they will remember. It's just, I guess, Roman Catholics would agree: actions speak louder than words, uh, because it's all about doing. I guess. Uh, so, if you show interest in him or her, they, they will respond with interest in you. Mm. Excellent. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. Mm. Hopefully, it's been helpful for students that listen to this and non-students, other friends of CU that listen. Um, we like finishing our podcast with prayer. Mm. So, would you like to pray for us? Pray for the students. Pray mm. for. Many Roman Catholics on our campuses. Hmm. Uh, that'd be excellent. Hmm. Sure. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you're a good God. Thank you that you, you have revealed yourself uh, in your Son, our King, Jesus. Uh, please work through the students at Christian Union, uh, both Monash and RMIT, uh, to boldly and unashamedly and lovingly proclaim the news of our great King. Uh, help us to not treat people as targets or CPIs or projects, but help us to love the individual. And the best way to love the individuals is to keep sharing your great news about Jesus, our King. Uh, please help us to understand uh, more about the our our Roman Catholic friends 
uh, and how to point them uh, to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.